Hello and welcome to the brand new Zone 7 podcast. My name is Ben Jacobs. I am your host. We're going to be delving in over the next hour to how artificial intelligence technology can help promote elite level athlete performance. And in particular, for this hour, we're going to be focusing on injuries and what this technology can do to help prevent them. We've got a stellar panel all linked to Zone 7 for each industry leader in their own right and well and i'm going to introduce them now we're delighted to be joined by tal brown the founder of zone seven i'll come to you tal first in just a moment john cole Cahoon is with us as well he of course played for scotland celtic hearts sunderland an agent as well an investor in zone seven as well earlier this year beck smith joins us as well global executive director at copper 90 amongst other things she played for New Zealand as well and she's a strategic advisor for Zone 72 and also one of the foremost voices in women's football too. Federico Zmanio is here too. He played in Serie B and is also involved in Zone 7 as well, one of the first ever investors in this particular company. So that is who we'll have for the next hour or so. And it's great to have all of you with us. And Tal, if I can first turn to you just to give an overview. For those unfamiliar with Zone 7, what is this company and how does it use artificial intelligence to help promote athlete development and performance? Thank you, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here. Artificial intelligence is a fancy term used to describe very complex computations happening in the cloud. What we do is ingest a lot of data that covers what athletes are doing when they compete and train, uh, their well-being, their medical records, and use that data to find patterns that over time are proven to lead into injuries patterns that precede either an injury or a peak performance. And finding those patterns across a very, very vast volume of data requires intense computations, which is the artificial intelligence. But then these patterns are applied to live data to help teams make decisions about which of our players can go 100%, which needs some calibration, and how to keep everybody healthier for longer. And Bex, your involvement in Zone 7, I suppose, is relatively personal because your career was sadly ended by a knee injury and you're on record as stating that the team around you for the recovery of that knee injury perhaps played a factor in you having to retire earlier than you anticipated. Just give us the backstory regarding your own injury and then perhaps elaborate on what attracted you to Zone 7. Yeah, thanks, Ben. Um, I, just hearing Tal actually talk about Zone 7, it makes me excited. So I think that was the reason why I decided to join. And it, it is a personal story for me. My mom said you had the best time ever destroying your knee, um, which I can't actually uh, say anything against. But at the same time, I think that, you know, had technology like this been around when I was playing, um, I probably could have been able to run, uh, which I can't do anymore. Um, and I just think that, especially in the women's game, there's just there needs to be more support around the medical teams um, and there's so much data and information out there now that uh, it feels almost um, silly not to not to be using it um, so that that's why I decided to join zone 7 luckily they came to me actually and um, we had the first conversations and it just felt like an absolute no-brainer that if this kind of technology is out there I, I can't imagine uh, any team that wouldn't want to be using it, to be really honest, and especially in the women's game where they need even more support than, you know, the men's teams that have potentially even bigger medical teams around them. 
And John, I know that you've been out in the field talking to clubs about this technology and you've been able to sign one or two high profile ones as well. I won't name the teams in case they're confidential, but if you're able to tell us who they are, then obviously feel free. But from their perspective, why is this technology important? I suppose trying to preempt an injury and stop it happening rather than just react to it is more important than ever in a congested fixture calendar and when we're in the midst currently of a pandemic. Absolutely, Ben, and um, thanks for having me on. Anything to do with Zone 7 really excites me. Um, one of the reasons I became an investor and um, uh, now an advisor to Zone 7 is is about the, the well-being of players. I'm an ex-player, as is, is Fede and, and Rebecca. And it's not just about what the players are doing now and getting them fit for the Leicester game or the Leeds game. It's about how they're going to play with their children, their grandchildren in 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. And with this kind of technology, um, it gives them a better chance to, to not just play more games, which is, you mean, I was lucky that um, that I was given the talent I had to play at a reasonable level. Being a footballer, as the, the guys will, will join me in saying, is the best life ever. It's just the best profession that anybody could wish to, to be involved in. And now to still be involved in, in, in a company that really, really excites me um, is amazing. And, and the, the fact is that, that what, what Zone 7 does and what the, the technology does, um, one of the reasons that I love it so much is because it doesn't replace anybody. What it does is allows the clubs to, to manage the risk. It's not saying, Zone 7 doesn't say, okay, and one of the clubs in, in, um, that, that I've worked uh, with to get on board who are very forward thinking is, is Rangers in Scotland. Um, and they allowed us to say to, to, to say that, that we're working with them. Um, and it's not just about them uh, us saying, okay, so-and-so is injured. He can't train for four days. That's not what Zone 7 does. It's about risk management. It's about giving the information to the sports scientists and the performance guys and the fitness guys who can then make a judgment on the manager with the manager and the coaching staff to decide, yeah, okay, we can handle that risk and the player plays. Or actually, we don't want to lose that player for six weeks, so we're going to watch what we're doing in training and, and, um, uh, and in matches. And it's that level of information. It's an improvement in the added value to the sports scientists, to the coaches, to the coaching staff, to allow them to make the correct decisions for their clubs. Because we can't know what the risk profile of a player is. You know, Bex and, and Fede might have been able to play with an injury I couldn't. But an algorithm can't know that, whereas the human element of this is something that really attracted me to it, because it's not just purely an algorithm, uh, mathematics saying you can't train. It's, it's, it just adds value, in my opinion, to, to what the humans at the football club um, already deliver. And Federico, you're very au fait with the technology side of things. You're an ambassador for Zone 7 in Italy as well. And I think, as was just alluded to, there's a fine balance, isn't there, between that technology and then the art of football. And there could at times be friction between what an algorithm says and what a manager thinks or wants to do. So how, when you're coming into a football club, or advising an individual, do you win them over with the science, especially potentially with a more old-fashioned club that is very gut-driven in their decisions? Well, this <laughs> hello everyone. Thanks, Ben. Um, this is difficult. I think this is the 
biggest challenge that we are facing is like introducing a data-driven approach to sports and football in particular. This this sport is governed by some in some cases very traditional, ancient kind of uh, uh, concepts, and and uh, we need to we need to. Uh, we need to have a kind of, uh, as John was mentioning, like a kind of approach where technology and big data analysis comes into place and, and come into play, and and is not substitutive of the work that people in the field are doing, but it, instead it it's like uh, empowering the people on the pitch to work in a better way and to be more successful and effective. So as this is honestly tricky because. Uh, this is something that has to do not just with injury prevention or prediction, as we could call it, but it has to do with anything around a sports team or a, or a football club, and even even in the relationship with fans and taking decisions. Basically, that that's around being able of taking decision not just from the guts and from the subjective uh, uh, points of view, but. Uh, uh, get help from data, get help from analytics, get help from technology, artificial intelligence. And so what Zone 7 does, um, and, and it's fantastic the way we are so effectively in this, is that uh, it enables, uh, I would say, a fitness team, but also a coaching staff to uh, be aware of the risk and then uh, apply some principles to be guided towards a better decision around the management management of players. Um, so what, what what I do is explain that uh, in 2020 um, we can't uh, deny this. We can't deny technology. We can't deny innovation. Of course, uh, as we say, I don't know if you can say that in English, but I'm bringing water to my meal. As as we say in Italian, it means that I work for an incubator. So I'm the CEO of uh, a sports tech incubator which mission uh, is to bring innovation into sport. So I honestly preach the same things because I, th I strongly believe in this. And coming from the sports world as a player, I know that this is lacking. And so my, my approach is explaining to these people that their work will be much better when they embrace technology, when they embrace innovation. And, and uh, that, that's because, not just because data are the truth per se, but because from data you can extract some smart insight that can help you on a day-to-day -day basis. So this is my approach uh, today. Yeah, that's really interesting. And Tal, let's start breaking things down now before we talk about some athlete-led stories and get some personal insight into injuries, recovery and recuperation. But what within your algorithm comes before all of that? Tell me about some of the predictive indicators. I appreciate you might not be able to give away some secret parts of the algorithm, but I'm sure that you can elaborate on what you're factoring in to try and prevent an injury. I presume it's things like age, pre-existing conditions, and other medical factors that you can readily get your hands on to. But maybe you could explain for us in a little bit more detail about how that algorithm is put together. Sure. So... The, one of the unique things that we've tried to do about Zone 7 is to create a holistic view rather than just analytics on top of one product or one technology. We try to bring in um, as much data as we can. And I think there are four categories to look at that we look at. Number one is the player profile, their 
you know, their history of injuries, their age, their position, you know, your typical stats. Um, the second and just as important is what they are, quote unquote, producing as an athlete, quantifying the workload, quantifying the running, the distances, the speeds. These are all collected usually through wearables used on, on under your shirt, sometimes through cameras. But it's a quantification of what you're producing as an athlete. And then the other categories, one of them is about well-being. Are you well rested? How, how good was your sleep? Um, things like that that are now available today through off-the-shelf tools that are not, not that expensive. And the fourth category is when teams go deeper into your medical state. How strong is your hamstring? How flexible is your quad? These are measured today digitally through technologies. So all of these go into Zone 7's um, processing platform. Um, and, and, and as you say, it's difficult to, to break down the algorithm case by case, but the important thing is to understand it's not about your numbers. It's about how your numbers change over time. So it's not about running 10K or 12K or 8K in a game. It's about how that number compares to what your body is used to. So everything is what's called baselined or normalized to your averages over time, et cetera, et cetera. And that's a key part of what we do. It's creating that intelligent baseline so that we can compare one player, you know, 32-year-old one position to a 19-year-old in, in another position. Not to say they're the same, but using this baseline technology, you can certainly uh, look at trends that may impact both of them. And Bex, along with the algorithm, I would assume that you would endorse practical recommendations to prevent injury and ultimately help players that have unexpected injuries recover. So if we look at women's football, for example, there's a train of thought that said for many years, there just wasn't a boot designed for women. And as a result, they were getting certain injuries that the men weren't getting. And in addition to that, the semi-professional clubs and even some of the professional clubs didn't have medical tied in. So they wouldn't have been able to recuperate as quickly as well. So whether it's in men or women's football, what practical recommendations do you think modern football should have to use the Zone 7 algorithm, but then in reality, complement it with measures to ensure that either people stand the best possible chance of not getting an injury, or if they get one, they can recover rather than be forced to retire or spend longer on the sidelines? Yeah, that's a, it's a great question. I think one of the things that Zone 7 does so well is it makes very complex technology, like Tal mentioned AI, very simple. Um, and it makes it breaks it down so it's not scary. And I think that's the thing that when people think about using technology in sport, you know, Fede works for YLab and his, that's his job. One of the things, one of the barriers I see, especially in the women's game, but just more broadly is that using really complex technology and using like words like AI becomes quite scary for people who aren't necessarily used to using a lot of technology in sport. And what Zone 7 does, it breaks it down into very small bits that you can use. Um, and without overwhelming those that are using it to be able to actually give practical advice and, and changes to training schedules. So, you know, also making things more individualized. And I think that was what was missing when I was playing, even when I was playing at Wolfsburg, when we, we won the Champions League, I mean, arguably one of the best clubs in the world at the time, um, our training schedules were everybody does the same training. So everybody does the same weightlifting program, the same, you know, shooting training, the same team training. And I think those days are, are changing and they're gone. But the intricacies of how you actually can manipulate each individual 
players training um, is quite difficult, it was massively difficult. I mean, even as an athlete myself, you know, trying to control my own outputs and, and trying to, you know, see how I'm feeling on the day. Tal mentioned, you know, your well-being is so important. And some days I'd feel very well fit and I'd, I'd feel actually like I was well rested and I slept well. But then, you know, my, my heart rate monitor would come back and I'd be in the red zone for half of the training and I didn't feel like I was. So I think just having that technology and the data to be able to be broken down into very small bits that um, almost anyone can use. And I mean, I've seen AL explain it and if I can understand it, anybody can. Um, and I think that that's what makes Zone 7 so appealing for, for anyone who wants to use it. Um, because to be really honest, when I first started, it, it felt like, oh, this feels very, very technical and I'm not sure I'm going to be able to understand it if I'm really honest. But being able to understand it, being able to break it down into small parts and being able to individualize trainings based on that specific player on that given day is something that I just think is, is absolutely game-changing. John, cast your mind back to your playing days. What was the worst injury that you had and was it treated in the most effective way possible? Uh, you need to give me about 10 minutes to cast my mind back that far, Ben, to be fair. Um, but I was I was very, very lucky in, in my career. I didn't really suffer a terrible injury. Um, I pulled on a doctor, um, a Maximus, uh, when I was in Millwall. Um, and uh, the, the, the care was okay, but I was I, say, I was very lucky, probably because I jumped out of more tackles. I, I wasn't really a physical player, so I was I was lucky I could anticipate. I think they would call it diving now, but I would anticipate a lot of challenges that would stop me getting a serious injury. Um, so, but it was it was the 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 medical care of the eighties and nineties. But, and I, and I don't say this lightly, and I, and I don't say this flippantly, because I say a lot of things flippantly. A lot of clubs actually haven't moved on. They think they've moved on, but they haven't moved on, and they're not using the technology, and the, um, yeah, they've got more the more personnel in. Yes, they've got more, more uh, data in, but it's what they're doing that. What are they extrapolating from that data, and how are they applying it? That's the key. Um, and whether it's, it's Zone 7 or, or some other technology, um, they've got to embrace it. They've got to embrace it because, um, sadly, uh, the economics of football has always been pretty precarious. But COVID-19 has made that um, that situation, um, or heightened it, enormously. So every single football club in the world, and you include Barcelona, Real Madrid, Manchester United, you saw Tottenham's results today, every single one of them have got, got, got to get more bang for their buck. Somebody explained it to me the other day that they have to get a buck out of every 90 cents they spend. And that might mean that instead of having a squad of 26 that the coach likes, they can only have 23 or 22 and sometimes 19. And if that's the case, then they need to have just about every single player available, not only for match days, but to train. Because that's what the other thing that Zone 7 does, the availability, the figures that we've got are not on purely on match day, they're on availability to train. And that's one of the things that, that some of the coaches that are already um, bought in um, really love about the technology. It's not that, because people get a little bit scared of, or they get scared of new things. That's just a human, um, a human trait. But they get scared of a new thing in football and that they think that if something is... Um, 
there to prevent injury. All it would simply do is tell people to stop training. When a manager can't plan his sessions, can't plan his week, can't plan his season, if he thinks six, seven, eight players are going to be missing every single training session, it's just not possible. And that's absolutely not what Zone 7 does. In a lot of the cases, a significant amount of cases, it will actually tell the players, or recommend, we don't tell the players anything, recommend to the coaching staff and sports scientists that they train a little bit more. They train at a higher intensity for a shorter period, which means that the coach can plan his weeks, he can plan his sessions, can plan for the games with having the vast majority of his players available, which they don't They don't at the moment. This past weekend that we're talking about, there was 114 players unavailable in the English Premier League. 114. And that's, that's not going to get any easier with the fixture congestion that comes up. So they're going to have to embrace new things because the old way is not going to work for them. They're going to have to work with smaller squads but have those squads available more of the time then. So it's not a case of... And it's frustrating for, for us when we're trying to introduce it to clubs that getting in the door and getting them to embrace it because you have to get three people, to three sets of, of uh, parts of the club to buy in. You've got to get the money men, so who pays for that. You've got to get sports scientists and then you've got to get the coaching staff. That's not easy to do in any organisation. In a football club where there's some closed and fixed mindsets, it's even more difficult. But it will come to a point where, in my opinion, um, which I'm quite happy to give, as you can hear, um, it's not can they afford to take in the new technologies? Can they afford to take in Zone 7? It's really can they afford not to. When their competitors have all got it and have all got the edge, can run smaller squads so they can have 19 players, their wage bill, is what they were spending on, on 23. But they know the players are going to be available. That will be the key for them. And, and they will all move towards um, the new way because they have to. Federico, let's get a Serie A perspective as well. I'm interested to hear your thoughts on Zlatan in particular. 39 years of age, referred to himself as Benjamin Button, scored two goals in a 3-1 win <laughs> recently over Napoli, but also came off in that game with a leg injury. And when you're that age, any injury, even a more innocuous one, could set you back, could send you on the way to retiring. So first of all, do you think it's a bit old-fashioned for AC Milan's assistant coach, Daniel Benera, to talk about Zlatan as he's just resilient? He isn't someone who usually comes off the pitch. It's nothing serious because he can play through the pain. That was the translation of his reaction to Zlatan's injury. So it was very much in that old-fashioned mode, perhaps, of he's a footballer, he'll just carry on. But it might, of course, set him back in the long term. And my broader question to you is how... Can Zone 7 prolong a player's career like Zlatan, who's in their mid or late 30s and wants to try and keep playing into their 40s or beyond? Well, I think Zone 7 is useful for all players, uh, no matter the age, uh, if they're young or old. Um, the only thing I can say is I know for experience and, and because this is the theory behind it, that um, the more you get injured, the more you get injured. So if you get injured, uh, if you have a hamstring, for example, a hamstring injury, it's like more likely that you get it again. So if you're able to avoid it uh, in the first place, then it's much more likely that you stay healthy and you can be more, more available during the season for your coach and your, and your team. That, that's, out of, that's a simple concept. Um, so I think uh, 
in this respect uh yeah that comes comes down to what we said uh earlier no? that the, the, the uh the, the approach and the mentality of uh, odd football is still kind of old-fashioned and uh, we know that we are you know we are pioneers in this uh let's face it i know everyone says that uh i think you know injury prevention is a, such an abused kind of word everyone says that they do it but in reality in reality no one uh is really doing this effectively so when you when you you know when you when i met with uh, zone seven i was uh very surprised, very excited, and then when I dig deeper into the system, I realized that we were doing this for real, and and so I this is the reason why we, as a while up, we got involved in this uh, in this whole situation and business, um, and and so I, I think it's 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 a long term journey with uh, with the football club because you can't avoid injuries. Uh, 100%. So it, it's we know that injury is part of the life of a football club uh, it, because injuries, uh, you know, it, it's as as more the more you play, the more you will have it. But here is a matter of reducing the impact of injuries. So as we know, Zone Seven's club are able to reduce the number of injuries um, by a um, you say a very good percentage. And this is already this is this is a result. So we can't say it's going to be zero at the end of the season. But if you are able to reduce the impact of injuries of fifty percent, of sixty-five percent, as Getafe did, uh, that that's great. Uh, so um, to go back to your question, um, yeah, I think if you have a system in place where you can manage risk effectively, you will reduce the impact of injuries in the long term all players will benefit from this and they will have less number of injuries of course uh, not all injuries are created equal so in some cases you get injuries out of you know um, an impact uh, during a during a match and uh, this is difficult to anticipate but uh, in general terms i think uh, it's just uh, you know a strategy around being able to manage your players and risk during the season what is also interesting for me is where the player gets involved in that risk management, and that's that's what I don't know, Ian, because um, we all had we have different uh, risk tolerances. So I, I I could play injured, and 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 you say that 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 maybe it's the old way where you just play through injuries, which is what we did. We just played through injuries, but if if my clubs had had the information. And they had shared it with me. What would be interesting to now know is would I have made the same decisions to play against? I can remember playing against Atletico Madrid um, with with quite a, a, a serious knee injury, but the adrenaline and, and I played the whole game. I played ninety minutes, and and but that was my mentality. It was kind of sort of Calvinistic Scottish mentality where you just went to work. That's what we did, and we went to work, and, and luckily I didn't have any long-term effects. But where does a player get pulled into it to say, okay, you're at high risk from a um, from a quadricep tear, but we really need you for, to play in the game on Saturday against uh, Lazio. So do you leave it to the player, or is the club in sole control of that data without sharing it with you? And then they make a decision because we, we we will all come back to I think 
keep saying that we don't make the decisions. The algorithm will make the recommendations, but the, 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 the humans make the decisions, which, which to me is one of the, and Tal knows this, one of the reasons I got involved, because it was purely machines telling people in football they can't do things or they can't, must do things, then, then it kind of doesn't work for my mentality and philosophy on football. But I think it's, it's, it's important that, that we understand that it is risk management and sometimes players will be desperate to play. Knowing the risk, they will be desperate to play. I, I bet you Beck's played injured. There's a big game coming up. She knew she wasn't feeling right, but she said, I've got to play. And, and, and got through the game and maybe then she missed two or three weeks. But again, that's, that's natural risk management, whereas what we're doing is giving the clubs the ability to manage that risk based on data and facts and historicals, not on their own personal circumstances, but on the circumstances of millions of sessions, millions of players, and not sort of thousands of players, um, and I haven't been able to make a really informed decision as opposed to, yeah, my quad's feeling a bit tight, but I think it'll be okay, which is exactly how we did. I don't know what you think, Bex. Yeah, no, I'm, um, I 100% played injured. I remember my last game, which qualified us to the Champions League, was against Frankfurt, and they were number one in the table, and my knee was like this big. But I, I think had I known, if I had a calculated risk, and if I had more data, I would have been able to have made better decisions throughout my whole career. So I 100%, I was definitely that player that would have liked more information because I would have liked to have been more involved in the decisions that the medical team and myself were taking. So I, for one, would have been one of those athletes that would have liked it. I think there's certainly other athletes that wouldn't necessarily have wanted to. I think some athletes just, you know, you guys make decisions. I trust you. But Slatan is a great example because I trained with him in Umeå in Sweden hundred years ago uh, when I had my first knee injury and he had a, I think it was an Achilles or um, an ankle. And I think that hundred percent, he's not just a machine who's resilient. He works really hard and he had an incredible medical team around him, which at that point in my career, I also had as well. So again, it goes back to the point that I think the, if the athlete has more information, they can take more control of their rehab and the, and the calculated risks that they would be taking, as well as having that support to the medical team. I think those are sort of the two main keys, um, which I would 100% agree with both of you guys on. I, I, so I, I agree with these comments, of course. Um, I think that one of the things that we're seeing that is allowing... So what we are seeing in, the, in, in out there with clients using Zone 7 is that suddenly there are more options available to them. So it's not just a question of understanding the risk at game day in the morning and making a decision that is informed, um, but it's also about the few days leading to the game. How do we prepare? What is the optimal preparation for every athlete based on their specific needs? And like Beck said, it's no longer a case where 25 players on a team should be doing the same lifting, the same stretching, the same whatever uh, vitamin supplement intake, we can now tailor that. Um, and we, we are doing that. So it's also about what does game day minus one, two or three look like differently for individual athletes. And doing that every day is really hard. If you need to do that every day for 25 players, you're gonna be drowning in data. So that's where zone seven becomes a tool at the hands of the skilled operator to alleviate some of those you know, mental computations needed and to help them focus where they are much, much needed, which is 
collaborating with coaches, explaining this, getting players to buy in. Um, so, so we're seeing that change. We're offering, we're seeing the technology allow for more intervention points beyond the morning of the game. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And Bex, picking up on that, we've talked about the process of the technology and preventing injuries. And Tao's point leads us on to game day, around game day, training, that interaction between the technology and humans. And one good example of that, I think, is the US women's national team at the 2019 FIFA Women's World Cup, and specifically Megan Rapino, who wasn't fit enough at least according to the medical team and Dawn Scott, who was the head of sports science at that time. She's now, of course, with the FA. And she basically said to Megan, listen, you can either play in a FIFA women's semi-final, but then you're probably not going to make the final, or you can miss that semi-final against England, and then you'll more than likely be fit for the final. And then as I understand it, she still had to go through in training a kind of stress test to make sure that she could start that game. And they went on, of course, to win the FIFA Women's 2019 World Cup. Do you think that's the right approach? And how important is it that there are firm coaching staff with scientific background, and of course, who can interpret data like the Zone 7 technology, that in addition to a manager can be firm enough and can manage directly relationships with high-profile talent to say things like that. Because if you go back a few years, or if you look at smaller coaching staff, and somebody said that to a player of Megan Rapinoe's ilk, th there is a danger that the player could just go no. But in that context, seemingly Dawn Scott had enough authority to play it her way, which was the scientific way. Well, yeah, it's, it's a great example. And I think Don Scott is one of the most incredible sort of sports scientists out there. But one of the reasons is she, she analyzes a lot of data. Um, and I know that because, you know, I brought her in to work on a couple projects when I was working at FIFA um, to have her help sort of analyze um, some of the data that we were getting from the tournament. So she's absolutely brilliant. But that's probably a really good point that one of the reasons why you can as a sports scientist talk and make those decisions with those types of players is because they actually respect you and one of the things as a player I know personally you know if a coach were talking to me or, or a sports scientist or a physio that was you know 22 years old and had zero experience I'd very much less likely take what they were saying with heed and and do what they said I think because I would have less respect for them so I think that respect is really important whether it's a you know a coach or a, a technical uh, a medical technical team but what zone seven does is it allows you know people who maybe don't have as much experience in the medical industry to have a lot more respect because they have the data and science behind them and they have a whole team and a whole ai platform that has been developed over many many years and like literally thousands of injuries have gone into building that algorithm um so i, I do think that the more data and the more science that is involved in decision making the better it is and i mean the horror stories that I have, not just from my career, but other friends and players and teammates. And even now, I was just talking to a very top player in the WSL literally a couple hours ago. She's injured right now. Um, and having her out is absolutely catastrophic for their team. And yet, you know, talking to her about the medical team around her, and she's in a, you know, a top club here over in, in England. Um, I think it, it just has to change. John, John's, you know, what John was saying, I, I firmly believe that it's just... 
if you look at in so many other industries and especially in, in individual sports, if you look at cycling, you know, and, and you look at the amount that they, they're weighing the amount of food that they eat, you know, trying to get the exact number of calorie intake so that they can make it a certain distance. The, the science that goes into cycling, for example, um, is incredible. And then you look at a team sport like, like football and you think, why can't we have that same mentality in terms of dealing with athletes and dealing with performance and, and using the data and using the science in, in football. So I think it's, it, it's definitely, you know, Don Scott is a great example of that, but I, I definitely think that it doesn't exist enough, especially in the women's game. But I would imagine Fede and John also have some horror stories as well from, from their times. Yeah, Federico, why don't you respond to Bex's point? Any horror stories to share? <laughs> <sighs> Um, well, I played 470 matches, never, never in Serie A, unfortunately, but I've seen lots of things. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I find interesting is that um, when I was, I was uh, playing for Serie B in Treviso, it was in 2000, I was uh, very keen to learn more about myself and to improve myself. So. I followed a diet regime, but that was done by myself individually. There was not kind of any kind of support from the clubs. It was my my initiative. You know, the, it, this diet regime is called the Zone. Um, I think it's pretty pretty famous and popular. But in two thousand, it was something pretty new, and so I followed, and and I started feeling much better. And uh, and then I remember my my teammates teasing me because I was asking for ham in the morning at breakfast and then everything like this became uh, mainstream. Um, so and the other thing that I noticed is that the, other, the, 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 the part of the body that we don't train at all is brain and uh, the mind. So this, this other thing is, is something that is totally um, overlooked, I think. Uh, and I was experimenting and think and uh, because I, I had a, I was, I sensed that sometimes players are limiting themselves because they're not tapping into their full potential just because there's lots of noise and lots of stress and, and if you're not able to deal with that and are you, are you oversensitive you might you might not express yourself in the right way so that that's another thing that i that i that i think it's um it's important and in this respect i don't think we've done uh, lots of progress. I um, I played till 2010, and it's 10 years ago. And I think we didn't have anything around. I'm not even say personalized training, as Bax was referring to. That was a you know like a dream, um, an ideal situation. But we didn't have anything around big data analysis technologies. And I remember just watching games on Thursday. Uh, before just preparing the, the next game just by watching videos all together but that was it and so I wish I could have um, you know experimented with zone 7 not just with zone 7 but with other with other technology especially in terms uh, of injury prevention um, there was nothing and and uh, and honestly you 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 were just uh, by yourself and of course you had a coaching stuff you had a medical stuff but you know you just follow the recommendation that they wanted to give you and that they gave you and uh, and if you were important uh, you played and if you weren't important you stayed on the bench and and uh, that was that was it so uh, that was uh, part of that that's my experience at least uh, and uh, so there's lots lo lots of room for improvement in terms of uh, personalized training and especially 
um, considering data and talking with players, having them on board, having them involved in the process of understanding if and how they can play and they can perform. So yes, that's my, no horror stories, honestly, uh, but uh, that's my experience. Lucky you, Fede. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I was I was pretty lucky. I had uh, well, as a matter of, well, I broke my leg, uh, but it was not during a season. I was um, on the beach uh, <laughs> on vacation. <laughs> but I had so, uh, and and I had like s slight injuries. I was lucky as lucky as John might be. I was um, pretty strong in terms of um, you know um, resilience. Uh, resi I just had small hamstrings injuries or or tendinitis. Uh, but I could play all the same, so I didn't. Didn't I was pretty lucky, apart from that episode, that has to do with my mind and not not with the <laughs> things. But um, Tal, did you, do does Dome Seven account for inebriational uh, d uh, injuries, uh, <laughs> or is that like the next phase? <laughs> uh, no, no, we. Uh... <laughs> But we are specifically, we are now starting to be asked by clients to look at um, data from um, from well-being products, you know, like your mm. Apple Watch. And are you are you well rested? Are you under stress uh, looking at kind of personal well-being metrics? Um, and that's turning out to be really helpful, not just because, you know, you can have the same volume of work load well-rested versus not well-rested and your body will respond differently, but also mm -hmm. because it offers intervention, right? Like one of the key things that people report about using products like uh, Whoop and Aura and Apple is they are sleeping more. They are they are making a mindful effort to get that extra half an hour of sleep. And that has dramatic effects uh, over time. Mm. I'm not That's surprised. Really but ben, I, I think the, the Don's the Don Scott um, Megan Rapino one, it comes down to trust, trust and connection, which is the key to to any well any management um, uh, decisions and whether they're taken on board by the by the athlete, the player, um, and I think that Don Scott must have had tremendous trust and a tremendous connection um, to for for her advice to be taken on board, um, and and what what we've got to hope is that. Zone Seven um, gives the the sports scientists, the coaches, um, the coaching department, um, the ability to 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 build more trust with the players, so that they can go to the players and say, oh, "It's not just a matter of saying, listen, if you if you play Saturday, you can't play for six weeks. We don't think you're going to play for six weeks." And the player will say, "No, when I played, not so much when 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 the other two played because they're they're just pups, but when I played." Um, we would have said we're playing and if the manager had come and said you're not playing Saturday because um, we think you're going to be injured we would have thought we were being dropped there would have been no whereas if they could have come to us and said you're not playing Saturday because you, yeah you'll be ready for the Atletico Madrid game but you're going to miss six weeks after that and we need you for those six weeks because we're in a relegation battle and then they could prove to me that what they're saying is true whereas if they're just saying to me listen, we think you're going to struggle after this game. It's difficult for that trust because all I want to do is play in this big European game. 
You mean that's a it's a mentality? It's a it's an adrenaline thing. Somebody's telling you you can't do something that you've you live and breathe for. You live and we lived and breathed to play football, the match days. We love train. Well, I love training, but I lived and breathed for those match days. And so when somebody said to me, it's taking one of them away from me that I could never get again. You mean I, I played against Atletico Madrid twice, once home, once away in the in the what is the Europa Cup now. If somebody taken one of them away from me, I could never get that back again. So they better have a really good reason for telling me that I can't play. And now, if he's saying, you're, but you're not going to play for six weeks after that, I'm going to challenge him. At that time, even in then, I think it was 89, I would have challenged him, how do you know? And they wouldn't have been able to back it up. Whereas the big difference now is they can back it up. And now they might still make the same decision, but... You can't argue with the data. You can't argue with the science. And that's what we're finding when we are now pitching to football clubs, Ben, is that nobody's arguing with the science. Yeah, they may argue on different different issues and we might not get buy-in because people are old school, but nobody's arguing with the Zone 7 science, which is remarkable. It's a remarkable sea change. I don't know what Tao's opinion is. Um, I'm just going to give, giving you my opinion on how I'm feeling when I'm front-facing people that are talking about it. There's no challenge on the science, and that's a change even in the, the short, relatively short time that I've been involved in in this amazing and exciting business. And I don't know what Tao's, Tao's opinion on that would be, whether whether he feels that, that there's there's been a difference in, in, in the, even the relatively short time I've been involved. Yeah, I'll bring Tal in in a moment, uh, but I want to ask Beck something first. One thing I'd say as well is it'd be very difficult to tell John not to play if, when he was demanding to play, he was banging that hand clenched fit exactly. as hard as he did into his part <laughs> decades on that absolutely terrified me so i dread to think how a manager could say no you can't play but bex i think john I, I think manager was only one one meter 65 ben <laughs> <laughs> uh, but bex before i bring tal in i i think john makes one interesting point which is that of course players at large want to play especially in the big games but due to the fixture congestion they might not actually want to play in all of them and it's difficult for a footballer to say that publicly because it's not that great PR, but FIFA Pro did a report and basically said players are playing too much. And in other sports, such as the NBA, minutes restrictions are just a given. So what, what is your opinion on football following suit and saying, of course, we want to try and preserve and prepare all of our players for the big games but if in all competitions we're going to be playing 60 plus games a season is there anything wrong with planning for minutes restrictions and telling players that they're not going to play in certain games rather than only judging it on how fit you are come a match week no absolutely i mean any team that doesn't manage their players and give them less minutes throughout the whole season so that you're not playing 90 minutes of every game is i would argue is not managing their team properly. So I think, you know, the shift from playing, you know, you're starting 11, playing every single minute of 90 of all your games, 90 minutes of every single game to managing those players and, and wanting to start your, your strongest team against the strongest opponents um, is an absolute must now. But w one of the other things that I think that, um, that John mentioned that is so, such an interesting point, actually everyone's touched on it, is, is the human element of the technology as well. So it's understanding how you deal with the players, bring in the players, involve some players and leave some players out of those discussions who don't necessarily want to be in them. I think that's the part that 
I really got excited about Zone 7. Now looking back and now that we're discussing it, it's, it, it sort of is becoming even more clear that it always feels like there's a technology element to this that is absolutely phenomenal, that the more you sort of see it and the more that Ayal explains it over and over to different people, and I've sat on those calls, the more I'm just sort of mind blown about the technology and how, what it can actually do. But what I actually genuinely like about working with these guys is that everybody sort of understands the human element to it so that technology can never replace the human element of making decisions. So, and even if you are making those decisions, there's still a human element to explaining why yeah. and how and making sure that those players are still going to be performing even though the technology is saying, actually, but today you probably shouldn't and we're going to rescue or we're going to train you in a little bit of a different way. So there's, there's a massive human element to, I think, everything that Zone 7 does from Tal and his leadership style, which I really enjoy working with, to Ayal, the CTO, who can explain things to someone like me who doesn't understand, who didn't understand anything about AI, who now feels comfortable enough to have a conversation about it to john's knowledge of football and and his network and how he talks so passionately about football to fede and y scout and, and being so comfortable in that technology space but being able to sort of connect it into the football world and and italy and how that's all working to roger who has an incredible background in like business and technology and and innovation and he's you know constantly wanting to be cutting edge of everything so i, I think there's a human element to zone seven that sort of comes out in the technology as well. So it makes it very easy for, I think, clients who are working with Zone 7 to buy into that like human element as well. And I think that's really unique working with um, these guys now and seeing other technology companies that are you know, on the market or tech platforms that are out there. Um, they're hard to understand, I think, for people. And even if you have that technology, you still need to be able to work in a team and have the human element to it. So I think it was a really interesting point that John mentioned, and I think Tal is a, is a obviously a big uh, believer in the human element of everything. But I, I think that's why this company in particular is is so fascinating. Okay, so let's get final thoughts then from all of the panelists before we wrap up. Federico, coming to you first of all, as I alluded to earlier, you won the first investors in this particular project. So why invest? in Zone 7. What is your message to clubs or individuals watching as to why they should get involved? That's very easy. They should invest. I mean, they should be getting involved because Zone 7 is, uh, is the right tool for reducing the impact of injuries that is uh, now so detrimental to club performance, uh, has a psychological psychological uh, negative impact on players and the team and especially an economic impact. So I think this is a way uh, to avoid all these uh, negative situations and uh, and in the long term and in the long run uh, improve the performance of the team because if you have all players available or more players available, you are definitely uh, capable of performing better at the end of the season. And Bex, almost with a copper 90 hat on, why is it important to tell the Zone 7 story and use digital platforms to do so? Because if those that aren't using it are out injured, that's a very lonely time. You can be forgotten as an athlete. So I, I would imagine that you agree that a podcast like this and using digital platforms to show that there's hope and improvement um, is something that is very valuable, particularly to those who are out injured and could benefit from Zone 7. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, 
finding businesses and companies that are inclusive and football is very difficult. And zone seven looks at players as human beings first and what they have been very, um, purposeful about is making sure that female players are no lesser than male players are, even though there's less commercial value in them. And I think that that is a very, very powerful statement. It's very difficult to find. Um, and being inclusive of the women's game because it is football is something that, um, I'm extremely excited about in terms of what zone seven can accomplish because it's not ignoring the other 50% of the population, which so many companies do in football. Um, and so I agree with John and I wanted to echo his thoughts that, that players are human beings first. And, and that I think is, is a more beneficial message in football that we, we should sort of follow suit on. And John, the software, the artificial intelligence at Zone 7 is providing marginal gains, which are so vital in football. And the difference that it provides might just be the difference between Scotland winning the Euros or not. Yeah, well, it's, it's, they're not telling AI are not miracle workers. So I'm not holding out much hope for that. But um, yeah, no, listen, it's, it's about marginal gains, it's about big gains. Um, and it frustrates me taking my, my, my Zone 7 hat on, uh, off and putting my agent's head hat on if I said to clubs there might be a marginal gain with signing a striker for the, on the commercial terms that Zone 7 would cost you there's a chance it might do this for you the clubs would all be open minded to it because it would have a definite effect on, on the next match day but for something that they're not entirely au fait with and not quite understanding it's frustrating that they don't take that on board and don't open their minds to it they have to open their minds to the 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 the, the science that zone seven brings to them ben that definitely doesn't give them a marginal game the results that, that zone seven has shown are enormous gains if we said to them you you we can guarantee you half the gains that on average we're seeing and they believed us, every single club that we spoke to would sign it. And I think that that's the challenge. And once they, once they understand and they see their competitors getting the gains, they will all rush to be on board. My opinion is it's just a matter of time. And Tal, the final word to you, picking up on John's point, it feels like instead of saying, why use Zone 7, we should be saying, why not? I think the industry is changing. Um, a couple of years ago, it was hard to, almost impossible to, to convince football teams to, to, to even try this. Um, and I, and I, we're seeing a few trends. One trend is that everybody's now investing a lot of capital into collecting more data wearables, TV, the videos, uh, medical devices. So there's a lot of data, but then there's very little um, interpretation of the data in terms of technology. So that's happening. Uh, the other trend we are seeing is that the industry thinking is slowly changing from uh, resisting AI or resisting uh, novel ways of analyzing the data to being open to experiment and to, to try. You know, maybe 30 years ago, um, the concept of using algorithms to trade stock in the stock market would have seemed like heresy to many financial people. And today, it's the absolute standard. So there is an evolution natural, and we are feeling it. So the big message that we are saying to our clients is, 
this is a no a very low risk way to evaluate a new technology that can have a ma major impact and the more the more our partners feel comfortable with this evaluation being low cost and low risk then the easier we are because once they evaluate we've seen you know almost 100% rates of the buying into the product and buying into the platform fascinating stuff tal thank you for your time my thanks as well to bex to federico and to john as well i'm sure we'll be back with another zone seven podcast soon but in the meantime to get involved to invest to talk to tal or any of the team zone7.ai is the website that's zone7.ai it has all of the contact details from myself ben jacobs thanks for listening and please do continue the conversation around zone seven we are improving elite level performance through artificial intelligence but for now, goodbye.